Do you know what? It's hilarious because like you start talking about your kid to someone and you know, and they know at some point you want to show them some pictures. Oh, but yeah. you're, trying, you're like, you're like, yeah. Chill out, chill out, no, no, no. And then in the end, you're like, yeah, I'm going to be that dad. Oh, no, there he is, there he is. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and in 2018, I became a father for the first time to our daughter, Evie. Desperate to glean as much information as possible about being a parent, I entered the world of podcasting with this, <laughs> my dad pod. Each episode, I am joined by a different parent, mum, dad, guardian, to discuss their journey as well as my own. And joining me on this episode is a TV presenter, Paralympian, MBE, and father to son boller. It's Adia Depatan. Hey, Addy. How you going, Dave? I'm all right, mate. Listen, let's get down to business, shall we? Bola is coming up to 18 months old. He's actually, um, I was doing it today. I think he's six, he's 16 months old. So yeah, yeah, he's he's a right handful right now, actually. He's amazing. He's um he's running around, he's reaching and grabbing everything. He's at that age where he's he's really smart. He listens really carefully and then he learns quickly. Like he, he he suddenly knows how to unscrew things or plug things in that he shouldn't be. Or uh, but now the thing I tell you the thing that he loves doing now, which is is really cute, but it's a proper pain. So I'll be sitting on the sofa watching the TV or or in, on on another chair watching the TV or reading a book, and then I look up and he's pushed my chair to another room. He's, he's he gets my wheelchair and he's pushed it off. No, and and he'll be in another room, and he'll come back really pleased with himself. Like, Daddy, look what I've done! I've done this. I'm like, I'm stuck. What? Go and get my chair back. That's not funny. It's not. You've not achieved anything. So that's his new. That's his new thing. And now, when I'm in the chair as well, he he either pushes the chair or he's worked out how to put the brakes on. So I might not even know. And then I go and push it, and the brakes are on. He's sabotaging my life. <laughs> Addy, that's such a lovely story. I mean, because Bola's coming into that age now, you know, uh, my, my daughter, she's three, and that was when it really started to get fun. And, you know, they're um, relatively unique experiences to you and your family. And I know I can tell, but you're, you're kind of encouraging him, aren't you? Because you're going to be laughing along and he knows that he's pranking dad and that's yeah. just going to be great for him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, oh, he does it all. Like the new one, the, there's the wheelchair <laughs> pushing that he does. But yeah, another one he does. I've, we've got a lift in our in our place, and he's worked out how to open the door and the lift. So he opens the door in the lift, and he goes in and he shuts the door in the lift, and he just apps. He thinks it's hilarious. He won't let us in, <laughs> and he just thinks it's hilarious to stare at us and laugh at us through the window of the lift. It's like, what are you? What are you doing? What's going on? Oh, it's lovely. I'm just, I, I love the hijinks. And you know, you know what it is, Addy? And I've said this before on the dad pod here. When you can get to a point where you can joke with your child, yeah. it really is great. And, it, and it's great that you're kind of, um, you know, letting him know that he's being funny. Because I think All that right. humour is such an important part of anybody's life. And the, the sooner you can kind of realise that and get a grasp on, you know, being funny with your parents and vice versa, mm. I just think the better human being you're going to turn out to be. Then they say it's the first hundred days of a, of a child's life is really crucial. And in those hundred days, that's where their personality, their character and everything starts to, to, to develop. 
Um, and, and it feels to me like you, you're really starting to see who he's going to be. You know, like he does things as well. My wife's a, a musician, so we've got loads of instruments around the house. She's got an uh, electric piano in the, in, in the front room. And it's one of those ones where you've got some preset beats and stuff like that. And he's worked out how to turn on the preset beats. So he goes up to the piano, mucks about with the, the, the keys, and that's not enough. So he'll set the preset beats and then he'll just start headbanging and dancing to the beats and looking at us and like, like, what's up with you guys? Why are you guys getting in the groove with me? <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. Well, the other thing as well that he's got in his favour is I, I had a little look on your Instagram and he's such a cutie as well. So, you know, he's a real heart melter, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is everywhere we go. Everyone just wants to like grab him and, and hug yeah. him and stuff. We just recently went on holiday and the flight attendants were just all over it. You know, when you go on a plane for the first time with a baby, you worry because you think, because oh. those times when you haven't, and you, when you haven't had a kid and you've seen other parents and you hear the kids crying and all that yeah. trouble, you think we're going to be that parent. We're going to be those parents who everyone's going to be staring at and we're mm. going to like be annoying everyone. What we found is because he's so sociable, he was going up, walking along the aisle and saying hello to people. Yeah. And, the, um, and the flight attendants were picking him up and playing with him. And yeah, he was, he was amazing. He's just, just chatting to everybody and he can't even say anything. He's just burbling and stuff. Yeah, well, it's, he's such a cutie. You know, it's so weird. I think the different person you become from being someone who travels when you're not a parent to someone who is traveling with a child, it's a milestone moment. The the anxiety that I've genuinely yeah. felt like boarding yeah. the plane. And then yeah. also, so, and, you know, everyone's kids are different and we know that. And, and this isn't like us showing off in any way, shape or form because Evie's had some breakdowns on aeroplanes you know but on on you know on those occasions where she's been really good other passengers have actually gone like she was really well behaved well done and it's like a real like, badge of honor you know, yeah. you know what and, i mean and, and then you're sort of like you're not breathing this sigh of relief like they haven't wrecked the place or or, or yeah. just thrown up everywhere and yeah. stuff like that and the one and the one that you really worry about is um is poopageddon do you know what i mean oh. like like it's all gonna go pear-shaped and the nap and you're going to have to change that nappy in this small cubicle and it's going to go, it's going to go crazy. Do you know what I mean? You're the Poonami. Yeah. You've got to look, I mean, but, yeah. I mean, when, when you've gone on a, a flight on holiday and your son's been well behaved, it must be more rewarding than your MBE. I mean, yeah. I can only imagine. Hey, hey listen, we're, we're, we're chest bumping. Uh, you know, me and my missus were like, oh, oh, yes, we've done it. Look at us. And then he um, starts crying and we re and it brings yeah, us well, back to reality. As it always will for any new parents uh, listening to this, it will inevitably end that way. Addy, you mentioned going on a family holiday there. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you on the podcast was uh, uh, something you're doing alongside bookings.com, which is uh, how to make family holidays sustainable. And we're going to talk about that now. And then I want to talk about your your brand new series as well, because the, the, the two yeah. are linked to our changing planet. So so let's yeah. start with how uh, as, as people, uh, as families, we can kind of holiday in a climate conscious way. Yeah, so uh, Booking.com, um, they're, they're a travel platform and they gathered up a load of research. Um, they did quite a lot of this during um, lockdown from over 30,000 um, travellers across 32 nations. And they found that people's um, attitudes to travel has started to change. And maybe it was because people being at home, being stuck at home for 
a couple of years made them really start to think and appreciate travel. Not having it made them suddenly think, you know what, we really love it and we really miss it. And also connecting it with the environment and understanding that it's important now that we travel in a more sustainable way. Otherwise, we may never get to do it anymore again. So what bookings.com, through their research, what they found is that the things that people value now are climate, community, and choice. Uh, and so what in response to that data, they um, created what they call a travel sustainable badge, where they uh, did some research and they got um, a, a load of travel experts to do um, tests on accommodation all around the world that you can find on their platform. And this accommodation had to pass a certain criteria and the criteria focused around issues, five key practices, such as the sustainability of the property. You know, what do they do with the waste? How do they get their energy? Is it from a renewable energy source? What do they do with their greenhouse gas emissions? You know, are they using their water responsibly? And the most important one is, are they putting money into the local communities? Mm. You know, because often we'd go on holiday and we'd stay in these, I know, all-inclusive places and we'd give nothing back to the local communities. And without giving money back or giving support to the local communities, those places will die off and they won't be able to look after, you know, the environment in, the, in those mm. areas. So now you have this choice of being able to go on bookings.com, you know, you type in where you want to go, and you look for the travel sustainable badge. It's like a green leaf and it's on over a hundred thousand accommodations. And as more accommodations start meeting this criteria, you know, over the years, you will have more and more, and you'll be able to go on holiday knowing that you're going to a place that is not damaging the environment. I think which is what we all want. You know what I mean? You won't want people to come to your local area, to your, to your house and just chuck litter everywhere and not give them monkeys about what they're doing. <laughs> so it's only yeah. fair that we treat other places that we go to with the same respect. I 100% agree. And of course, you know, you've got mm. to leave the place as you found it. That's pretty much what we've got to try and do in, in the bigger picture as far as the next generation go. Let's try and improve on the place and leave it as we found it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just about loving our planet. And I think mm. we've forgotten about that. We've, we've taken it for granted that the trees are always going to be there and the air is always going to be breathable, but actually they'll only be that, that way if we look after them. Mm. There is only one planet um, in, in, in the known universe that sustains human life and that's planet Earth. And we've got to stop taking it for granted, you know, not just for us, but as you said, for our kids, as parents, you know, I have this sort of like nightmare and this fear that when I pass away, I'm going to leave a planet to Bola and to maybe other children that we will, will have. That's unsustainable, you know, and the air is not breathable. They're not going to be able to enjoy the things that I've been able, lucky enough to enjoy. Traveling the world, meeting different people, eating different foods, enjoying different cultures because mm. my generation has wrecked the planet. Mm. But I think the problem is not everyone has the knowledge and knows what to do or how we do this. And this is giving, it's another option or another opportunity for you to be empowered and think, yeah, on my holiday, I'm going to look at this place. And what it, what it's also going to do is it's going to encourage other places to raise their game. Because if we all start 
using our pounds to go to the places that we feel are sustainable. Everywhere else that's not sustainable going to be like, hold on a sec, we want business as well. So we better start becoming sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a big part of your your TV career, which is over 20 years now, Addy, is I've seen you kind of travel the world and you making documentaries and, and your most recent uh, series, Our Changing Planet, which people can watch on the BBC iPlayer. It's a really interesting idea. It's kind of yourself and five other presenters all go to endangered ecosystems and all corners of the planet, um, including Steve Backshaw, who's a, a guest on the Dad Pod in, in the last series, a, a very charming man. Uh, he's in the Maldives. Uh, you're in Kenya uh, mm. with orphaned elephants. It's a lovely watch. I love it when they come out and they start playing <laughs> with you and the, li- the little elephants kind of like nudging you in the back and everything, which is <laughs> which was great. You've obviously always had an interest and always been climate conscious and always wanted to make these documentaries. But when you became a dad, did it bring it into even sharper focus? You touched on us leaving mm. a planet, you know, for, for, for the next generation. But did it suddenly make all of the things you saw on your travels even more horrifying or harrowing? Yeah. Is that the case, Addy? Do you know what? I mean, I get it when some people feel, or a lot of people start to feel overwhelmed by the climate crisis, you know, because they look at it and they think, what can I do? This is too much. It's so big. But what? I, and maybe it comes from my sporting background and my mentality is what it does for me is it makes me more focused and it makes me more determined and it makes me think, you know, what are the practical solutions? What are the things we can do? And also linking onto that as parents, I think our job is to make the world a better place for our children. You know, we want our children to live a better life than ourselves. That's what my parents strove for. And that's uh-huh. what they fought for, you know, to, to give me a better life. And I, in the past, a lot of our mindset was about, well, the way we give our children a better life is leave them loads of money or give them loads of material things. I think the way we should really be thinking now is the way we're going to give our kids a better life is to leave a better planet, to uh-huh. leave a better planet, a, a better place where there's you know, try and do our own bit to make sure that our kids are not caught up in refugee crises, in, in, in war-torn, in war-torn worlds. So it means you have to sort of have a more holistic approach. And yeah, I do freak out. I look at my, my son. Yeah. You know what's up when the kids, they, they look so helpless. They look to you for everything, you know, and I know that I'm not going to be there forever. Yeah. You know? And so. All I can do is while I'm alive, try to do as much as I can within my power to try and help make this a better world. And my platform is I I have the profile. I'm fortunate enough to, in my job, to be able to travel the world and give people knowledge, you know, because I think that's the big thing about climate change. It's about giving people the knowledge. Once people know what's going on and they know the solutions, then they feel empowered and then you can make people change. And that's what I'm trying to do. We can only do what we can do. Yeah. And so you find within yourself what it is you have, whether it's maybe cutting down on eating meat, you know, driving less. I'm trying to actually travel less, you know, because I know um, what, what, what that does to the environment, but also finding ways of lobbying the aviation industry to change their fuels. Um, that they're using on on airplanes, so so we're we're having greener fields and maybe 
hopefully move to electric or hydrogen planes. You know, just each and every one of us can do our little bit. To pick up from that, I think that the idea of, I think, any of our children not being able to explore and enjoy planet Earth, you know, is is really, you know, kind of fearful to think about for me personally. Can you imagine, Dave, like the elephants going extinct or lions yeah. going extinct and you talking to your kids about them like they're mythical creatures? Yeah, 100%. I, I, imagine like going to the Natural History Museum and, and you know, Evie showing my maybe my grandchildren the skeleton of a dolphin. That's what it. That's what one of these used to look like. And what you know, the thing is as well is that there's so many places that we were we have like yourself fortunate enough to have been, whether that be work or or just travelling, where we really want to take Evie when she's a bit older and we know that she'll be able to really appreciate it. And I wanted to ask you, you know, a man who has travelled, you know, not only for your love of travelling but but with your job and made so many important documentary films, are there places you've already got on that list? You and your wife are there places where you're like, okay, when Bola's six, I want him to go and you know see the elephants that I saw yeah. in Kenya or go to this particular maybe even it's a city or yeah. you know, a particular beach or whatever. Are you, are you making that list as you go along, Addy? Not specifically, but you're right. There's definitely, it's that shared experience. Mm. You know, that, that thing when you, once you have kids, I, what, what starts to happen is you, you want to experience those things that you've done already, but now with your child. Because you want to see how they... will never be as good, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen. Plot spoiler. (laughs) It was just better when you were on your own. (laughs) Oh, No, I'm joking. You were having a lovely moment then, Addy, and I ruined it. (laughs) Stop it. Sorry. I I tell you one of the things that... One of the places that definitely is on our list is... um, Yeah. So, like, I I, I was born in Nigeria, um, and, you know, my family are from Africa, and it's a wonderful, wonderful continent. I was fortunate enough to make a series uh, uh, about Africa, Africa with Adia Deputan a couple of years ago. And I know my wife really wants to go. Um, she's from Scotland and she really wants to, to, to go to Nigeria and she wants to travel around Africa and, and, and go on safari and just experience the culture. And I think for, for Bonner, it would be amazing. He's named after my father who passed away um, many years ago now, but for him with his Nigerian name and his Nigerian ancestry to go back to Nigeria and also to Africa and experience the different cultures, the, the different foods, to see the different people, I think that will be definitely on our bucket list and it'll be an amazing experience uh, for him, yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about your parents. I I can only imagine how incredibly hard they worked and how tough life must have been coming over from from Nigeria. And I know that your your dad wasn't so keen on you pursuing your dream of becoming a a wheelchair basketball player, but then he saw you playing on TV in the Sydney Paralympics. And that must have been such a a special moment for, for, for the family, Addy. Could you tell me a bit about that, please? Yeah, I mean, just a little bit of a backstory on that. You're right. You know, at the time for me, I was like, yeah, moody teenager who just thought my parents just don't understand. They don't get it. You know, this is my <laughs> thing. This is what I want to do. Yeah. But but when I when I think back on it, you know, my parents sacrificed everything to bring me to the UK. You know, I when I contracted polio, they knew that I was never going to survive and it was going to be a real struggle to bring myself up in Nigeria in the 70s. And on top of that, my older sister had Down syndrome or has got Down syndrome. 
So my parents were bringing up two young kids with disabilities. And what was really um, challenging was the fact that when they made the decision to move to the UK, they realized they couldn't raise enough funds to bring all of us over. And they were going to move in to my auntie's um, council flat or council house in, in East London. Um, and she only had room for one of us. And so my parents had to make this horrible decision between myself and my sister, who to bring over. Um, and I mean, c can you imagine that choosing between? No, I, I, your, I, I, your, your I can't even imagine. Who, yeah. Who, who, who wow. I mean, wow. it was just, oh, uh, unthinkable what they had to do and they mm. chose me. And so what that did, I mean, the, the idea was to later on, once they saved enough money and was able to apply for a bigger house that they'll bring my sister over. It took 10 years, but eventually my sister did come over. We didn't get a bigger house. So we all crammed into this um, smaller house. But what it then did is it brought this real responsibility on me that I had to be successful. I had to make it because the sacrifice that had been made for me to come over was that my sister oh. Was not going to come over as well. So when did I you feel? Did you put that pressure on yourself, Addy? Did you? Did you? Did you feel that growing up, and it just became so part of who you were, and 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 that decision kind of in your mind that this is what my parents have done, that I I am going to strive to be the best version of me that I can be. I think it was a combination of that, and also my parents did remind me of those things. As okay, well. that's what you I know, was so kind of getting at. Okay, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a combination of the two. I mean, they would talk about it, you know, and talk about my sister. And obviously, naturally, I just felt bad. And I just thought, no, I've got to make it. I've got, I can't afford to fail. So mm. with all of this, bearing all of this in mind, you know, my parents felt that, you know, there's an, our, our way out of, out of poverty, our way to move up the social ladder is through education. Both my parents were teachers in Nigeria. Um, so education was a strong foundation in their life. And they felt that, I needed to go to university. I needed to um, uh, aspire to become a lawyer, a doctor, you know, those secure professions, you know, that, that, that parents felt as, you know, these are go-to professions that, you know, your child will be fine if they go to it. So when I'm 16 and I turn to my parents and say, look, I'm not interested in going to university. I'm going to become a wheelchair basketball player and I'm going to ah. be a star. And this is in the 80s. Yeah. They, they yeah. you, you can understand their response. Wow. They're like, he's bonkers. You know, but that because, was so that was so brave of you to say that to them. I mean, I know that we all have that. There's that teenage rebellion, that streak of I know what I want. But Addy, that must have you must have been psyching yourself up for that conversation for months. Do you know what? I, I'm not really. I just knew. Okay. I just knew from the moment I started playing wheelchair basketball. I just felt this is me. This is you know sometimes you find something and I think I'm really fortunate. I think a lot of people search for the thing that makes them the better them or, or that, that, that thing that really challenges them and, and satisfies their soul. And they search for that all their life. I found it when I was 12 in wheelchair basketball. I knew the moment I saw members of the Great Britain wheelchair basketball squad playing and training at, at Stoke Mandeville. And I spoke to them, I was like, this is my tribe. These are my people. This is where I want to be. And for the first time I spoke to people who were aspiring to be the best in the world. And that rubbed off on me. And I was just like, 
I don't care what people think about the Paralympics or Paralympic or disability sport now. I know this is going to be great. And in order to, to get there, you know, my parents were, my dad was just distraught. And I knew the only way that I was going to succeed, um, because my dad banned me from playing wheelchair basketball, um, was to leave home. So I wrote a letter um, to the council. My mate told me I could do this, forged my dad's signature saying that he was kicking me out of the house. Um, right. and because I was um, disabled, my mate said, you know, you'd get pushed up on the, on the list for a, a council place. So it took about eight, nine months, but I got my own council flat and I moved out of home. I didn't tell my parents they were at work one day and I just disappeared. Um, and how old were you at this point, Addy? How old was I? I was 17. I just turned 17. Wow. Okay. Um, Goodness. so I moved out, I had no clue about living on my own, lived on beans on toast for about a year, you know, and, um, <laughs> like on, on, on the support of friends, um, because I had no money and just used to train over West Ham park. Um, I used to blag sessions at, um, Wanstead leisure center and Eastway leisure center. Um, when no one else was on the court, I befriended the, the people who worked there and they'd call me up when the court was empty and I'd go in there and train. And I just worked my, my, my ass off for, for 10, 15 years. Fine. I didn't speak to my parents for about 10 years, started to sort of regain our relationship. And then I got selected for the Sydney Paralympics, told my parents that I was away. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm off somewhere. Wow. No, I didn't tell them I was going to the Paralympics because I was worried <laughs> they'd, get, they'd get annoyed and stuff. Um, and then the first time my, I, yeah, my mum gave me a mobile phone and this is 2000. So it was early days for mobile phones and she wanted to keep in contact with me. So she gave me a mobile phone. Um, and then I was in the opening ceremony of the Sydney Paralympics going around with the, with the GBT in, in my, um, in my gear. And then my phone starts ringing and I look at it and it says, mum, and I'm like, should I answer it? So I, mean, I better answer it. Cause she's going to be worried. So I answer it. And she's like, you are in Australia. And I was like, yeah. and she goes, what are you doing in Australia? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, can't see you on the TV. You are in Australia. And I was like, yeah, I'm at the opening ceremony of the Paralympics. And she's like, ah. And she's like, and, and, so I, and then I came up on the big screen with me on the phone. And my mum's like, you're on the street. <laughs> and yeah, that was, they watched the Paralympics and that was the first time they saw me compete. And when I came back, they took a taxi home and my dad came out and he had tears in his eyes and oh. my mum came out and we hugged and yeah, it was the first time they watched me play. And, and it was saying that took, it took 10 years for them to get it and really understand. And yeah, we, we, our relationship was much better after that. And yeah, it was just, um, it, it, it was amazing. It was a tough journey, but we got there in the end. Addy, that's uh, such a remarkable story. I, I'm, I've got tears in my eyes, mate. I mean, well done. I, I, just to grasp it like that and go after what you, you know, you what you wanted to do. And as you say, you knew what you wanted to do. And you were aware at such a young age that not everybody is blessed with finding something, their true vocation in life. Yeah. And you yeah. pursued that and you, and then to get that call from your mum and the stuff from your dad is just lovely, mate. Well done. They must be very, very proud of you. That's the kind yeah. of yeah. the ending here. They must be it very, is. very proud. And it, you know, it's funny, like, I mean, my dad's passed away now, God rest his soul, and he was an amazing, amazing man. Both of my parents, yeah. you know, they had a really tough life when <clears> we <throat> came over to the UK, you know, um, 
African parents trying to bring up their children in the East End of London in the 70s and 80s wasn't easy. You know, trying no. to find their career. They gave up so much um, for me. And even through those tough times, there was always a lot of humour. You know, my dad is a funny man and my mum's got real dry sense of humour as well. And I, I, I remember a couple of days after I got back from the Sydney Paralympics, one of my uncles came over with the Newham recorder and it had a picture of me and it's like local kid does well going to Paralympics and everything. And I'm on the front page and shows it to my dad. And my dad like looks at my uncle and he goes, I always knew he would be grit. I always knew. <laughs> yeah. Like, you see, I told you, I told you, but I always be successful. And then he gave me oh. a Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, you know, to name your son after him as well and to planning the trip back to Nigeria, that's just all so special, Addy. I mean, you know, everybody listening to this now will, will totally get, get that and know how special that's going to be for you and the family. I, I, I love it. What I'd like to talk about now is is your your charity work, um, mm -hmm. you know, because you didn't want to bring it up, so I had to. Um, <laughs> I know, <laughs> um, I know that you do a, a lot of work with with children in need. Every time that comes around, you're not far away, and you're you're raising funds, and that's because you're a recipient of the good work that they do when you were a younger man. So tell tell us about that, please, Addy. Yeah, so um, when I first started trying to get into sport and playing wheelchair basketball. Um, I was um, part of a group called the Newham Rollers, and there was a charity called the Association of Wheelchair Children that was based in, in East London. And it was run and founded by two remarkable people who were physiotherapists that worked in a disability school. And they did so much fundraising because wheelchairs, sports wheelchairs were super expensive um, to get a basketball wheelchair. You know, back then they were um, between, and this is like sort of mid eighties to late eighties, they were between seven to 700 to a thousand pounds, which for right, a working wow. class kid in East End of yeah. London. I mean, it's a car, uh, you know, that's, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah it was, it, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, yeah I, I'm, I'm sure my next door neighbors that, you know, they, they, they had like a, a, a what was they, a princess, remember those cars, <laughs> or those, or princess or the Austin. Or, <laughs> or, 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 or the Austin Allegro or Ford <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I reckon they only paid like 500 quid for those. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, to, to, to get a, a sports wheelchair was super, super expensive. So we had to do lots and lots of different sorts of fundraising. Um, and Frank Bruno was a boxer, up and coming boxer at the time. He had a boxing club in the area. He did a lot of fundraising. And so we, kept, we had money from all sorts of different places. And children in need, you know, we applied for a grant and they gave us money. And some of that money went towards my first basketball wheelchair. So, wow. you know, without their funding, you know, I wouldn't have got myself a, a, a high performance wheelchair. And without that, I wouldn't have been able to play the sport, you know? So, you know, they really kick-started my career. Um, and maybe we would have been able to raise the funds in some other way, but they definitely made it easier. I think what I think is remarkable about that is that money would have been raised by complete strangers, people who had no clue who I was and what I was about, you know, but these people went out their way, did the extra mile, did all their fun runs, all their charity work, and they changed my life. They changed my life. You know, they gave me this opportunity 
through their kindness. So to me, I just, it's a no brainer for me to do work for, for children in need and to do work for charity because charity and work of charities in this country have helped me and millions of other kids in, in, in this country so much. So, you know, I think it's, it, it's part of my DNA to do stuff for charities. Now, my agent's always going bonkers because it's like, Andy, when are you actually going to do any work? any actual pain work because you're always doing stuff with charities and stuff. I can't say no. That's the thing. I can't yeah. say no. They can't take 15% off of children in need, can they? No, <laughs> That's no. the problem. No, it's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> um, I, I presume then, you know, Boller's going to be involved in, in, in charitable endeavours as, as he gets a little bit older. You know, it's something that's nice to instill in your children and particularly when you have been, as I say, the recipient of the good works that charity can do, which obviously so many people are and down the country are you can explain to him exactly why we're doing this and, and how it will as you to quote you change your life and to change people's lives for the better is an incredible thing to do and a nice thing to pass on to, to your kids do you know what dave talking about this sort of brings up something that i've i've also thought about when when, when i'm bringing up bonner and bringing up kids you know coming from my background there's no other way of putting it. We were poor. I grew up in, in a background where we didn't have much money or many, many resources. So I appreciated so many things in it, the smaller things in life, you know, just getting to, to travel out of London. And, you know, when my friend's dad um, would take me to the, me and him to the football because we couldn't afford going to that. And, you know, even the small moments that people might take for granted. And I know my son Bonnet, he's going to be growing up in a relative, pr relatively privileged life, you know, because when I, we've done well for ourselves now and we're, I'm, I'm, when I'm quite middle class. And so for me, I think it's really important to try and instill that not everybody is fortunate enough to live the life that, we, that, that, that we're living now. Mm -hmm. And I, the whole charity side of stuff, not even just charity side, but just the fact that having empathy and understanding where other people are coming from and, and wanting to help other people and knowing that, you know, the way you, you lift yourself up is by raising others and bringing others with you, you know, and I think that's the sort of thing we want to try and instill in Bolan. And I can already see, you know, he, he, he is a naturally caring kid, even at 16 months, he gives other kids hugs. You know, sometimes I worry about him being like too vulnerable because he's very open with his emotions, you know, and, you know, he will go and hug people who go and stroke dogs and, you know, he'll say, ah, if someone's fallen over and stuff like that. Aww. And it's like really that heartwarming for me to see that. And so I feel like he's already getting it and maybe some, some of it natural from watching me and his mother is being passed on. But yeah, definitely we want him to grow up with that, that natural empathy and that understanding that you know, he lives a life that is privileged and there are other people that are struggling and it's important that we try and help as many people as possible. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, with, with raising uh, 
children and, and young people, it's 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 all about making sure they feel loved and making sure they feel supported, uh, but making sure they are aware of, of of the larger world around them, not just from an environmental perspective, which obviously we've also touched on, but but also about people's personal stories and circumstances. And mm. that's how you build a better society for tomorrow. And that's how, you know, my daughter, your son, and all the people's children listening to this will just live a, a happier, more fulfilling life. I think when they say charity starts at home, it should be about, you know, teaching about people the importance of it starts mm. at home. And, you know, then you can take that out into the wider world. Dave, family is, family is the cornerstone of society. What we learn, what, what we gain um, and our experiences from our family life, I think set us up for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and so if we can create a society where f- families are more supported, where parents are, more, are, are given that opportunity to nurture their kids more and, 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 and not having this pressure of constantly trying to bring in the money and paying all these bills, you know, cause I, I feel for families in, in, in this country now, you know, I know so many parents are under so much pressure, especially with this cost of living. And what happens when you, mm. when you're put under that pressure is your kids lose out, not mm. for the fault of the, pe- the, the, the parents, because the parents are just out there trying to make a living and make ends meet. And so I, 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 I just believe that if we can do anything to make this society better, it's to support families more. Help fathers yeah. and mothers be parents. Give them the best platform, the best support, and everything else will take care of itself. The economy yeah. will take care of itself. The environment will take care of itself if you support families. Well put. I mean, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And to add to that as well, I just think that parents listening to this, whether that you know you're new to it or whatever, just remember to go easy on yourselves. I, you yeah. know, I, I've said it before, but if you feel like you're letting your kid down because they're having a bit of screen time because you've just got in from work and you're trying to put a meal on the table, then just give yourself a break. You know, we're all we're all doing our best, so yeah. you know, yeah. take it easy okay. on yourself. Addy, uh, over the years uh, on the podcast, I've been given some excellent what we call dad advice. Uh, I started with the title and worked backwards from there. Um, <laughs> uh, the likes of Rob Beckett, Samo Farah, Tyson Fury, Jason Manford, Chris and Rosie Ramsey. So I want to ask you, what would be your piece of dad advice? What parenting tip would you give to everybody listening right now? Oh, my days. <laughs> uh, one, I- I've learned to be very patient. You gotta have patience. <laughs> oh, I oh know. It's still it's pa- still a virtue that I lack and I've oh, got my. to get better at it. You've got to have patience. You know, oh, like, you once Buller started walking, it was like, all oh, right, that's it, we can go over the park and he's he's gonna he's gonna go on a schlep with us around the park. No, he sits on the floor, he rolls on the grass, he's yeah. distracted by everything. So to <laughs> just just to walk a few yards takes like half an hour. So that, that sort of patience. Um, but the yeah. other one is, I think, have time between yourself and your partner. Oh, you know, that's have nice. One yeah, that's a time. good one. You and your partner need to find moments where you can just be, you know, a couple again, mm. because, because having kids can put a real strain on your relationship, you know, and sometimes you need to have that time, you know, have like, a day, a special day for you guys, you know, to go for a meal or, you know, uh, a, a night out or to watch something, but just have that time together because it, it gives you that opportunity to recharge, appreciate each other 
and that's going to rub off on the kids, you know, because any stress that you have, they will sense it. Yeah, they're going to get a better version of you if you find some me time. I don't know if you've had a chance to do that as yet, as Bola's only 16 months old, but when Sarah Jane and I first got to have our like little bit of time away together, we we had a night in a hotel. Um, yeah. Evie's grandparents kind of stepped in. We spent the whole time just looking at pictures of her on my phone. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 the, whole, we, the whole time. Then we went to sleep about 7pm and that yeah, was what we did. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, it was... It was um, my birthday when we went on holiday and, and, and um, my missus, uh, well, my, um, my mother-in-law came with us and she looked after boilers while we had like a meal. And we, we, we were just worried. We were like, is she going to be able to put him to bed? Is he going to be all right? You know, we were just constantly talking about him. And yeah, and, and we, 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 we were thinking, oh, has she, she done the bottle right? Did we give her the right nappies? Yeah, and so on. Yeah. Like, You've just ordered your starter. You're like, we'll get the bill, please, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Was like, I was like, should we just give her a call? And she called us by accident, actually. And then oh, we, and, and, oh. and, and so we panicked. Like, she called us yeah, by accident. Yeah, heart and in mouth time. And, and then we panicked and we like called her back and we said, is everything all right? Is everything all right? And like, no, it's all fine. It's all fine. The most stressful pizza express in the history of the world is the first one you have when you leave your kid alone for the exactly, first time. Exactly, exactly. No, you're right. You're right. Yes. Addy, um, I asked this to all of my guests. Uh, it's the final question of the podcast. Bola hears this back in 15 years from now. What would you like to say to him? Oh, I love you. And you've made our lives so, so much better having you around. I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen in the next 15 years <laughs> and, what, and what you're going to do as a teenager. But right now, we think you are just so special. And uh, I, I want you to realize and understand that the world is your oyster and you can do absolutely anything, especially with that smile, son. Addy, thank you. It's been just so wonderful hearing your remarkable story and you know obviously you're just so successful and I know your parents are immensely proud of you and having done this for some time just seeing your face light up when you talk about your little boys tells me everything I need to know I know it's it's love at first sight and that love affair will continue for a lifetime so I'm just really grateful for you finding some time to share your story with with myself and and everyone here at Dad Pod. So thank you, mate, and continue success and and send my love to the family. I will do, Dave. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Adi Adepatan, an all-time great guest on the Dad Pod. I am sure you will agree. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, then please follow the Dad Pod. Give us a nice comment and a review if you'd be so kind. Why not recommend this to someone else who might find it useful? Uh, you can tweet me, by the way, at DaveBerry underscore tweet. I'm on Instagram, Dave underscore Berry underscore Insta. I love an underscore. Or you can email us, the entire team, DaveBerryDadPod at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. I'll see you next time for another episode of my dad pod. Until then, thanks again for listening. Listener.